Hello, listeners. Jess here. Have you heard our newest show, Winnie Taylor's Fourth and Inches? Winnie Taylor is just a teenager when her mother dies, sending her to Cleveland to reunite with her dad, a former football player. It's an inspirational story about sports, family, and learning to overcome the barriers that hold us back. Winnie Taylor's Fourth and Inches has something for everyone. Action-packed football games, a story about friendship, and a father-daughter story that will warm everyone's heart. I know you're going to love it. Follow Winnie Taylor's Fourth and Inches wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free with a GZM family subscription. Head to gzmshows.com for more. Hey guys, how are you doing? How's it going? How'd your summer treat you? Or winter, if you're listening from Australia. So sorry it's been a while since we've had a proper Big Meld episode, but I promise that it's for a really good reason. I've been working on a super cool, super secret project that I am just about ready to share. This has been a long time in the making, and it's got everything. International intrigue, high-level diplomats, awe-inspiring activists, cutting-edge scientists, 26 cops. Well, (laughs) cop 26, that is. That's right, Big Melters. We're headed to the single most important event of the future of Earth's climate. The Mac Daddy of all climate policy meetings, where decisions that affect fate of humanity and the entire world lay in the balance. COP26. We're in the big leagues now. I'm Sarah, and this is The Big Melt. Cop business anyway. Well, it's actually COP, and it stands for Conference of the Parties. That's Nigel Topping. He's the UN high-level climate action champion, and he's kind of a big deal. He is a fountain of climate policy information. Like, I pride myself on being in the know, but even I had to look up some of the big historical events and initiatives he touched on when I had the chance to chat with him a little while ago. Here, listen to this. Hi, Nigel. Um, it's Sarah from the Big Melt. Hi, Sarah. Great to be with you. So COP, or Conference of the Parties, is a huge international meeting that takes place every year, where representatives from countries all over the world meet and try to solve climate crisis. Every country that's part of the United Nations is invited, and it's the site of some seriously coordinated international teamwork. It's the conference where all the parties to the United Nations Climate Convention come together. So it's a gathering of 197 countries. That's a lot of countries. (laughs) COP's got scientists presenting their research, diplomats talking about their country's climate plans, activists explaining their initiatives, and everybody sharing their data, all so they can make informed decisions about what to do next. The reason that COP26 in Glasgow this November is so important is that it's five COPs after the Paris Agreement at COP21. And the Paris Agreement established a five-year cycle of ratcheting ambition. So countries committed a plan five years ago, and now they're updating those plans, and they're required by the Paris Agreement that those plans are more ambitious. And so COP26 is seen really as the first test of the Paris Agreement, and that's why it's so important. The Paris Agreement. That sounds familiar. Is that where everyone agreed to meet up in Paris or something? Uh, Let me just look it up. Oh, 
The Paris Agreement came out of COP21 in 2015, and it's where countries agreed to work together to keep the world's average temperature from rising 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, and preferably to keep it below 1.5 degrees Celsius. So the countries that signed the Paris Agreement, as we've chatted a bunch about so far, are developing or have already developed new climate plans. Can you explain why these climate plans are important? Yeah. Um, so the Paris Agreement asked every country to submit what they call a nationally determined contribution. And the importance of that was before Paris, the countries had tried to negotiate everybody else's fair share. And it turns out that's really difficult when there's 190, imagine 196 people in a room trying to agree exactly who's going to do what in any complex task, right? When some of them are very big and some of them are very small, when you've got, you know, tiny, small island economies and you've got China and India and Europe and the States, right? Huge economies. So Paris, on its head, said, okay, everybody come up with your own best plan that you term determine yourself. That's why it's called a national determined contribution. So Canada has its own plan. The UK has its own plan. And China has its own plan. And those plans are really at the heart of the Paris Agreement. And the reason they're important is that that's the signpost to everybody else in the economy of what is going to have to be done in the next 10 years. So these are 2030 plans. So they say what's going to happen to the energy system, what's going to happen to transport, what's going to happen to agriculture. And then a government has to implement the policies. But they're very strong signals to everybody else, which helps everybody else make their own plans in more detail. So they're a crucial part of the architecture of the Paris Agreement. Now, for anyone who's paying attention and can do math, 2015 isn't five years ago. It's six. We know. They had to postpone it a year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, COVID has pretty much sucked for everyone, everywhere. It also has shifted the focus away from slowing down climate change, which we totally get. So some countries are being severely affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, and it seems as they have to shift their focus and resources to tackling the virus. Since climate change is not going to pause until we deal with COVID, how can countries work together to support each other and make sure that progress made so far on climate change will not be lost? Yeah, that's a really good question, right? Because this this, um, this pandemic has, I mean, it really has shaken our, our sense of what's normal. The good news is that the COVID pandemic has also shown us how quickly we can change things when we decide to. Mm-hmm. The key now is going to be once you get beyond that, once you get the vaccines in place, and once you get the disease under control, how are we going to build our economy and our society going forward? You know, how do we make sure that economic stimulus packages are not trying to take us back to where we were before, but are being used as an opportunity to accelerate towards a clean air in cities by phasing out combustion engines, to richer nature by investing in what we call nature-based solutions, which can draw carbon out of the atmosphere. The good news is that increasingly central bankers finance ministers, CEOs, mayors, all understanding that we have to do this. I think it's the next 12, 18 months is going to be really key to see whether we really use that leadership signal and turn it into action before we have the next ratchet in 2025. I know, this is a lot to take in. You know what we need? A five-second dance break. I feel better. Now, where was I? Oh, right. We know COP26 is where the countries that were part of the Paris Agreement give their updated plans for cutting emissions, and each plan is tailored to the individual country. Cool. Got it. Let's take a super quick break for this message. Okay, 
I'm back. So I noticed that in your capacity as a high-level climate champion for climate action, you are amongst those leading the race to zero. Can you explain a bit about it? Well, um, the race to zero is about everybody committing to get to zero emissions of greenhouse gases by 2050 in the 2040s or 2030s. And that's businesses committing to zero, investors committing to zero, cities, universities, provinces, schools, sports clubs, everybody committing to zero with an end date, but then a plan of what they're going to do in the next five, 10 years. Because it's really important, obviously, no mayor or CEO who's in position today is still going to be in position in 30 years or very, very few, right? So it's really important. It's not just a long-term plan. It's a plan for the short term. What are you actually going to do? Because we need to halve emissions by 2030. So that's the race to zero. It's like getting everybody into the race running as fast as we can. All this stuff we're trying to do, slow down climate change and the race to zero, is called mitigation. But we've also got to learn how to become resilient, which is where the Race to Resilience campaign comes in. Can you tell us a bit about the Race to Resilience? Yeah, so the Race to Resilience is about making sure that we are putting enough attention into becoming resilient so that we can all thrive in the face of the changing climate that we know is already coming. And and we tend to focus that really on lives and livelihoods. And those fellow citizens who are most vulnerable, those people who are living on rivers or coasts who are susceptible to floods and coastal surges, the urban poor, you know, there's 1.6 billion people living in slums, often in floodplains, very exposed to extreme weather events, and then smallholder farmers. Smallholder farmers. These are small-scale, family-run farms, many living in poverty, whose livelihoods depend on the food they grow. And then smallholder farmers, two billion people around the world rely on smallholder farmer incomes to live, very exposed to droughts, floods. Um, and so it's improving the, the resilience of those communities. Working with those communities are very resourceful people, but who are most exposed to extreme weather events. That, that races resilience is about working with those communities and with others around the world to make those lives and livelihoods much more resilient. Heavy stuff. The race to zero, the race to resilience, there's a lot of races going on, but I guess there has to be. Climate is changing at such a fast pace. It does feel like we need to hurry up and get going before it's too late, but I'm just one person and I don't have a lot of power right now. Maybe one day, but not right now. So how can I make a difference? So speaking of young people, what advice do you have for young people who want to help but don't know where to start? Like I say, first thing is do educate yourself. You know, hopefully you're being educated at school or at college. If not, there's lots of good material out there so you understand what's happening and what's causing it. Um, And then there's a few things you can do to to get into action. One is demand ambition from your leaders. And those leaders could be your parents, especially if they're running big businesses or they're in politics themselves. That's a pretty powerful ask from the child to the parent. But but then voting, if you're a voting age, then make sure you're using your vote and and putting politicians under um, scrutiny. Um, And then the way you engage with a business, like what you buy, and if you're starting to invest, if you're in the early stage of your career and starting to put your money in a pension for the future, then um, ask questions about how your money or how your products are being used and produced. Anyone can join the Race to Zero. And if you're an individual, we've got a partner campaign called Count Us In, and that allows you to join a growing mass of people all around the world who are committing to taking their own steps towards the Race to Zero. Okay, Nigel, one last thing. Since we're talking about the race to zero, how is Canada doing? Are we ahead of the pack? Are we trailing behind? And are we ahead or behind the UK? Well, I'm afraid you're behind. Um, Canada has only reduced emissions by 0.5% 
since 2005, but does have a much stronger plan now, the NDC, which was submitted recently um, in the high 40s. Of course, the UK is committed to 68% reduction by 2015 is already well underway. So if it's a race, you've still got some catching up to do. Fact-checking squirrel. Canada's NDC, which stands for National Determined Contributions, is actually only 40 to 45%. Not high 40s like Nigel said. Goodbye, fact-checking squirrel. So Nigel was actually being generous. 40 to 45% isn't that much compared to the UK's 68%. Yikes. Obviously, Canada has some work to do to catch up with the UK. I'll definitely be keeping my eye on our rep at COP26 and making sure that our plan measures up. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Nigel. I'm very excited to follow along as we get closer to the COP26, and I wish you the best of luck. Well, thank you so much. It's been great to join Earth Rangers. Thank you for what you're doing, and I look forward to hearing this and and many future podcasts. Oh, Nigel, he's so nice. I also want to give a huge shout-out and thank you to our friends at the British High Commission for putting me in touch with Nigel. Oh, and one more thing. During my research, I discovered a super cool graphic novel called Because IPCC, which sounds, well, we all know what it sounds like. But the IPCC actually stands for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is part of the UN. This graphic novel gives you a ton of insight into the way that these sorts of meetings work and just how many people are involved. I'll leave the link in the show notes. That's it for me until the COP. Catch you in Glasgow. I'm hoping the world is about to experience a glass glow up. The Big Melt Podcast is brought to you by Earth Rangers and hosted by Sarah Marks. It is written by Lee Lawson with help from Christina Duvalshaw, directed by Stefan Richter, and edited by Nitai Steinberg. Production assistance by Avneet Sandu. To learn more about today's episode or leave us a message, go to bigmeltpodcast.com. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button and come on, show you care with five stars, please. Later, skaters. I'm Amy. I'm Oded. I'm Ethan. I'm Awa. And we're a GZM family. Join us and listen to Fourth and Inches. Here we go, brownies. Here we go. Three years ago, Brinley Pasternak helped the Anders family uncover the truth about holidays past. Now, she'll need them to help her find the truth about hers. Six Minutes Out of Time is the long-awaited sequel to the most downloaded family audio adventure in history. When Cyrus is found unconscious near the mysterious Elixir Academy in Florida, Brinley learns the school may have a shocking connection to her missing mother. All new episodes are available one week early and ad-free for GZM subscribers. Visit gzmshows.com to learn more.